You are listening to Citizen Reporter at citizenreporter.org. I am Tre Hanul. I'm a photographer, a graphic designer, an arts teacher, a traveler, an avid motorbiker, a storyteller, now also a writer, and last but not least, a coffeeholic. that in the last, even in just the last two weeks, uh, I was at an event related to travel, specifically uh, motor cycling, but cycling in general, and empowering or empowerment of women, women traveling. And long story short, uh, I was listening and and noticing the comments uh, from a specific participant uh, at that event, started reading more uh, about her, and well, uh, here she is. Uh, Trey, welcome to this podcast. So glad to have you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really thrilled. You're like the first podcaster who's ever interviewed me. I've been on radio shows, yeah. like short things, a bit longer things, but never ever on a podcast. So you got the first. Oh, well, I, I do consider myself very lucky. And I, I was interested also, like your connection with motorcycles mm-hmm. and then maybe later also your connection to photography they all come mm-hmm. together in many ways um but like for you uh, when did especially motorcycling when did this start i th- i think the traveling started before motorbiking mm. so i i consider myself a traveler first and foremost yeah. and if i would have li- lived like 200 years ago or 500 years ago and i'd have I would have belonged to a middle upper class or let's say an upper class, I would be riding horses. I mean, it's just the kind of thing that just thrills me, the speed, yeah. the, 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 um, like the engine, the, the, the a device, a vehicle that, that sort of like connects, yeah. brings you further away than you can. Yeah, walking is great. And walking <laughs> is very great for thinking. I mean, mm. I do walk a lot while I think. Yeah. And um, But for covering some distances, I prefer to have something faster. Sure. So it would have been a horse. Yeah. But uh, now horses are a bit impractical, you know, and my parents were never they're like like middle class and i wanted to ride horses when i was young but this was like upper class stuff yeah when i was when i was young and so we just basically couldn't afford it so i went to arts class i went to to i mean i was in music school you know this kind of thing but i just couldn't ride horses yeah so i was never i, I have never been around bikes or horses just by myself or in my family it was just the thing that was like i think i'm a romantic soul basically Uh and it's sort of like it's like this this here like this adventure side of horses and motorcycles that sort of connected with me as 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 a kid already yeah so um i started riding in yeah that's by now 24 years ago 25 years ago in 90, 
94 to be to be precise so uh just out of nowhere because i just happened to have a friend and he had a motorcycle and so i was going on the back and then finally things got together and i was like i want to learn how to ride you know yeah. it was like some kind of epiphany like all of a sudden this childhood dream came back to me and it was like yes this yeah. is what i want to do yes and then it changed everything after but before all this you have to interrupt interrupt me if i if i'm talking to no much. before <laughs> any of the motorcycling yeah before any of the motorcycle there was the traveling yeah so um my parents traveled um as kids they would take us with the caravan to then yugoslavia oh yeah the balkans sure. which was unusual even at that time. So I, I really like, uh, I really love my parents for taking us that far out of central, like Western yeah. Europe. And um, then when I was 18, 19, of course, I was studying. And of course, I had no money, like all students had no money. And I was hitchhiking. This was the time that hitchhiking was like massive. I mean, everybody was hitchhiking. So I, w I started hitchhiking first close by and then all over Europe. I've hitchhiked from Finland to Italy and from the, the west of England to the borders of like Eastern Europe. I mean, I've just crisscrossed for like five to six, six years by myself as a girl. And um, so I was beating all speed records, you know, because <laughs> I was a girl and by myself. Yeah. I was faster than trains. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, the, the by myself element, it's, it's a very interesting one uh and part of it is personal i i too have found that i don't even know exactly why but i i've traveled alone a lot in my life um sometimes by choice but sometimes i didn't even know i just just was going um what led you there because i i definitely noticed you know uh, neighbors friends that are young now you know university age and they they want to travel with their friends. It's the sort of default. Um, but you, you didn't do that from the get-go. You went alone. It was a bit coincidence. I mean, sometimes I traveled with a friend, like one, mm -hmm. never in groups, because the dynamics of groups just don't work for me. I mean, it's just too difficult. Yeah. And like two works, four works, <laughs> and three doesn't. Right. Right. You know, like uneven figures don't work. That yeah. that's my experience. But so and I rarely traveled with more than two. And yeah. if it was two, it usually was my lover of that time. Sure. At some point, which started something like six, seven, eight years ago, um, I found myself being single. Yeah. And it was either sit at home and soak. Or just go. Yeah. And I remember very well the very first time, not for short journeys, it doesn't matter, but for longer journeys, I actually prefer to be with two people. I okay. do. Yeah. But I just don't have a choice. So. Sure. Uh, and as it happens, now I feel more and more comfortable being by, my own, by myself, yeah. just traveling by myself. But the thing with traveling with two people, especially someone that is very close to you, uh, not necessarily a lover, but very few people get so close to you, you know? So, you know, I always say, if you have something beautiful, if you, it's like 
the beauty doubles when you're two mm. and the and the and the sadness halves i mean it's like um if you watch a beautiful mountain you're by by yourself it's a beautiful mountain all the same but if you're two and you can share that experience it becomes like even nicer yeah uh yeah in dutch okay uh gedeelde vreugd is dubbele vreugd uh, gedeeld verdriet is half verdriet. So shared beauty is double beauty. Yeah. Uh, shared sadness or shared bad yeah. moments or half of them. Yeah. So the advantage to be sharing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still convinced of that because, yeah. I mean, if things go wrong and you're by yourself, I mean, it's all perfect if everything goes perfect. But right. you and I know that it doesn't always. Right. And often doesn't. And yeah. sometimes it's it's not so bad. And sometimes it's really dramatic. If you if you uh, fall ill on a journey, you all of a sudden become weak. In a way, and that's physical, but that's also mentally. So I I found myself in situations where I felt like very vulnerable and very weak. Uh, facing the outside world, like for 10 days in India a long time ago. And I, it's still to this day, it stayed with me as a, yeah, something yeah. I don't want to repeat, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's there's a couple of directions I want to go here um, based on what you've you've been talking about. Um, one is uh, yeah this element of of traveling alone and how people receive you or or engage with you. I mean I think sure. when you're one you, you know and you arrive in a village or a city but certainly in a smaller place you initially so what was your first big uh, uh, ride to another country and. Also, were you alone or, or with one person? The very first journeys I did, I happened to be by myself. I just took an airplane to Indonesia. It was my first long journey, three months, backpacking in back in the 80s. Then the second one was India, again, almost three months, backpacking by myself. And that was just, yeah, coincidence, as I said. I didn't have anyone at the time, so I just started traveling. Yeah. And then my long, then I started learning to how, how to ride a motorcycle and I had the long-term relationship at that time. Mm -hmm. So we were traveling two girls on two motorcycles overland from Belgium to India and back. Huh. And we did that twice for seven months. Yeah. And coming back to the topic of your, of your question is indeed I can compare very well but I have the very big advantage, I think, mm -hmm. is traveling with two women is a yeah. very different thing than traveling uh, uh, as a man and a woman, or even two men. Yeah. So, I mean, you're almost perceived in a similar way alone than with two women. You're... I don't know. People, of course, if you're alone, people approach you. Yeah. If you want it or not. I mean, <laughs> so yeah. sometimes you're like, leave me alone. I, yeah. I just want to read this book, you know? Yeah. Which, like, in India, I tried this, you know, I tried it on a bus stop. It just didn't work. <laughs> and um, 
but yeah, I was inexperienced then, and now I would just not sit there. I would just choose another place anyway. But so um, people are always trying to protect you or help you, or especially if you're a woman on your own. And yeah, this is also the base of my my travel experience. I go from the premise that ninety. Seven ninety-eight percent of of the people are good people. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I don't distrust people unless they prove me wrong. And um, I've been lucky, probably also. So I know that this it's yeah, people can have so much bad luck, especially women, mm-hmm. uh, but also men. And um, so. I've always been approached more easily when I was alone, for sure. But even being two women, we were approached and we were, uh, yeah, people started reaching out to us, invite us and, and, and just be quite at ease because we were two women. Like we were not dangerous in a way. We were not, um, not suspicious. Not suspicious, indeed, yeah, yeah something like that. I, I think because as, as a woman, you, of course, if we were on motorcycles, people perceived us as, as men first first and for all, because before you right. remove your helmet, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't have huge boobs and you don't drive in pink, yeah. I mean, which we didn't, uh, so no, you're images, perceived no. as men. Yeah. And even when removing a helmet, sometimes it it was just confusing for people because they just couldn't match the 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 vehicle and then a female on top of i don't even have it open but i know the the, you arrive Mm -hmm. you're in iran and and i'm thinking about this because you're talking about that impression before you take your helmet off and then how it goes from there and in this photo you're side by side uh with um with i believe it's an iranian uh, your partner perhaps at that time and i i paid when i saw this photo a couple of things i, I don't know I, I went right to them one was i was curious what you were wearing in terms mm-hmm. of what you would choose, right, to to wear because you're tr- it's, it's Iran. The temperature mm-hmm. uh, is not clear to me in the photos, but I know that the weather can be sometimes extreme depending on the season. And and um, mm-hmm. and then on the other hand, I know you're riding, so the protection aspect, physically, comfort. So I see that you have uh, a sort of long flowing. It, it's not a robe. It's not a shalwar, but it's it, you seem to have strategically dressed both for the the trip as well as the context, it would seem. That's the very first time we were um, crossing from, it was at the border, exactly. Border from Turkey to Iran. Mm. Um, and it was the very, very first time we were going in to Iran. And this was 1999. So uh, we had we had talked to one person one woman who had traveled across iran on her motorcycle on the way back from india to london mm-hmm. that was the only woman that we knew of that had who had ridden through iran because we before we we started this planning we didn't even know that it was allowed 
Right. We were not even sure. So because of this one woman, uh, we just decided to give it a go because Iran happens to be on the way from Europe to India. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's there. It's a massive country that you have to cross if you want to go from Turkey to Pakistan and India. Yeah. So um, I was smi- I'm smiling on that photograph. Yes. And my girlfriend, it Not. was like very, I mean, we were both super tense because we yeah. had no idea what to expect. Yeah. And because you cross into Iran and you know that even today the rules in Iran for women is cover your hair and cover your female bodily shapes. Yeah. And at that time it was quite conservative still. I mean, so we had found Iranian chadors, yeah. well, more or less, with like a black long robe up to the ankles, yeah. and then black scarves yeah. and a helmet on top. And under these dresses, we had all our protective gear. Right. So you, we, look, we looked like hulks, you really. You look like American football players. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, the shoulders, exactly. especially the shoulders. It looks so, heavy. Needless to tell that we were not very comfortable in these robes. Yeah. Um, and they were long, so it was really a struggle to keep them away from the exhaust. Yeah, you know, it's dangerous. Keep, right? Keeping from going from the ropes going in up into oh. flames, you know, oh even God. that. Yeah. The the interesting thing about uh, Iran, as I see it now, because I've been seven times now, I can compare ninety nine to two thousand twenty two. Okay. And all the stages in between. So that's a super, let me add, this mm. is a superficial view sure. from an outsider, hey. just a female traveler to Iran, nothing else. Mm. So I'm not a historian. I'm not a, a social or political scientist or a journalist. I'm not, nothing of that. I'm just a curious traveler, let's say. It, so it's an outsider's view. But what I've seen, one of the superficial things was that fashion changed rapidly every time I went to Iran and changed in a way for the better. I mean, for, for me as a yeah, woman. Yeah. So the black robes three years later were uh, way too long. People were staring at us when we walked in 2002, when we came into Iran and people, women were just like, whoa, what are these? I mean, these are like very traditional uh, extremists. They almost looked at us like terrorists, you know, in their own country. So we just hurried to the bazaar yeah. to get something much more fashionable at the fa- for the fashion of the time, okay. which was shorter. Mm-hmm. And now I've seen... in. T- 2022, which was like two months ago, three months ago, women were, I saw some women with a long shirt, like just, just reaching under their button buttons yeah. Yeah. and headscarves that were like so light and flimsy and right. so much backward that you could hardly see they were wearing one. The the changes, so that, that being able to see the changes, what you're saying is that it's actually been quite a, a continuous path, uh, uh, if you were going to say forward or backward, uh, uh, forward towards basically less restricting clothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. On That's on the surface. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That's just a superficial sign. And uh, women are still, every single woman I talked to, even in 2007, uh 
women or 2014 or other years, that was the one thing that women wanted to get rid of, this uh, obligation of wearing a headscarf, the headscarf mostly. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there's women who are very religious and they, they will continue to, to wear it, but not having the choice is very annoying for many women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember going to Tunisia after Ben Ali uh, was kicked out and mm -hmm. uh, Ben Ali had banned the headscarf or at least during his time. Um, so in an odd or not so odd aftermath or reaction, uh, many people wanted to wear the headscarf and did as a sign of a sort of the new era. Anyway, very, very different uh, in, in many ways, but also uh, interesting when you think about the restrictions. Right, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Uh, in more elements of, of your traveling that I we haven't gotten to yet, of course. Um, you're a skilled photographer. <laughs> yes, I, I'm. I'm. I, let's say I'm. A, I consider myself still a beginning photographer. I have a master in photography, so oh, I, I I did do. Um, uh, yeah, I yeah. Did, I studied it. Sure. But I didn't do the bachelor's. So I don't know. This is a technical thing in Belgium that was possible. Huh. But uh, yeah, even even that aside, I mean, so many photographers didn't even get, uh, didn't even study anything and don't have a degree and are still incredible master photographers. But I think my my problem a little bit, my advantage, and it's also a problem, mm -hmm. is that I'm broad. I'm broad-minded, mm -hmm. so I tap into different skills and different um, tools that I have. So I I like to write as well. Yeah. I like to make a little bit of video. Um, I like to interact with people. Um, I'm a graphic designer as well. I love graphic design. Yeah. And I'm also a photographer. So what I'm trying to say is like, I'm trying to become a better photographer every time I photograph. And I'm very well, I'm quite well informed about what exists today and what has existed in the past. So I know about visual language, about the concepts, about the concepts of documentary photography, for instance, about the trouble with that as well. And, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to become a better photographer. That's actually the thing. <laughs> And so you've undertaken this this project. It, it looks to me like a passion project for sure, uh, which is photographing women who who move, <laughs> you know, and and whether it's motorcycles, bicycles, bus drivers, surfers. Um, I mean, how did you arrive at this concept and then pursue it and actually get these? particular uh, um, examples. Move She Does is a storytelling project about pioneering women and girls blazing trails with their vehicles. In short, women and girls face obstacles moving in public spaces, be it prejudices, traditions, prohibitive laws and violence. 
All over the world, courageous, creative women have found, or still find, ways to overcome these obstacles. Using all kinds of vehicles, they challenge gender stereotypes, gain independence, self-confidence and strength. Each one of them changes her society from within and becomes a role model inspiring others to follow suit. The project is delving into a large array of ages, cultures, classes, backgrounds and vehicles. So I'm really going to travel in a large number of countries and I will look for a big diversity of all ages, all vehicles, all classes. And vehicles can go from airplanes to trucks to bicycles, surfboards and skateboards, um, cars and obviously, because I'm a biker myself, motorcycles. The project consists of portraits in photographs in a specific style that I chose, of interviews, context, audio recordings and short videos. And the purpose is spreading all these stories through as widely as possible. I've been traveling a few times to countries where I felt that I shouldn't be traveling to. I was in Congo uh, in 1991 when Mobutu was still in power. And it's the one country and the one time and place that I really felt out of place as a visitor. Mm. And it stuck with me. I mean, it, it was an amazing journey. I've, I don't know. I just, I, I can write a book of this four weeks alone. But um, more and more, when I was traveling, it's of course it's the pleasure of curiosity, of meeting people, of seeing countrysides that you couldn't even dream up. Um, being in the extreme heat, being in extreme cold, just living all this, these experiences and, and learning. Because this is, for me, a very important aspect of traveling is learning. Yeah. I consider myself like a, um, an eternal student all along, whether I'm in Belgium or whether I'm on the road. And obviously, on the road, I learn even faster because you have to. I yeah. mean, you have to adapt to what's happening around you. And this is not predictable. Yeah. So, um, but little by little, I I wanted to bring back stories and talk about this here in one or another way. So, um, and more and more, I wanted somehow to make this even bigger and share even more yeah. and to share my the inspiring stories that I found sharing these inspirations with other people so that they could inspire others as well. Really started with the book that Gaia Scooters and I uh, made back in 2007 uh, from a journey, nine 
Muslim countries, seven months on the road, 30,000 kilometers on two motorcycles through Turkey, Iran, the whole of Central Asia, uh, Dubai, Oman, and Yemen. And we, we made a book after this, like one-third photos, two-thirds text. And after that, we gave like, I, I lost count, but like 200 lectures in all kinds of groups. <laughs> so elderly people up to six-year-olds in schools. And it was amazing the effect, especially in schools, the effect you can have as a storyteller telling stories that you genuinely lived on the road, like authentic stories that you of women and girls or just even men that you met on the road. It's just like these the ears of these kids, they just glow. <laughs> You know, I, I'm also thinking you had um, these experiences traveling, meeting people, journeys uh, across borders. A lot of those countries that you mentioned are very different now. Well, look, every country changes, but some have changed in, in bigger ways. You mentioned Yemen briefly. I It flashed through mm. my head how much Yemen has changed. But even Dubai mm. in a positive, well, positive sense or building sense also mm. has changed easily. I don't even know the year you were there, but it's guaranteed that from then to now, it has changed because it never stops uh, that particular uh, city. But um, one thing I think about a lot, Trey, and I, I don't know where you land on this, so I'll ask, um, travel in itself has changed a lot in the last, I'm going to say mm -hmm. 20 years for me. And, and that is to say... A lot of the journeys that you made, first of all, they were to places, just like you mentioned with your parents, they were to places where not everybody was going. Wasn't that easy necessarily to get in? A lot of risks, adventure. Um, and, the, and the other thing was that, uh, yeah, people didn't travel as much. It required a lot of the individual to be brave enough, to be curious enough. But we now live in this time, especially where you and I live. You're in Belgium. I'm in the Netherlands. People travel very easily. Um, mm -hmm. to certain places anyway, uh, you know, the, it's, it's, it's really a click away and what's required of you is pretty minimal. When you get there, you could pretty much do what you do at home. You, you know, the kind of traveling I'm talking about now this is mm -hmm. average tourism. And what strikes me is I, I was a, a big traveler and then Corona hit mm -hmm. <laughs> and, then, mm -hmm. and then baby. So, you know, things have changed, but I'm, I'm at a loss sometimes for, on the one hand, travel and meeting individuals will always be a good thing for the soul, for the mind, for our globe. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, what we've created, and I, I take you know responsibility as well as someone who, who traveled, what we've created is a very different experience from, I think, what, what you're describing, meeting people, uh, uh, learning, uh, or I don't know, am, am I... You know, am I putting up the past in a pedestal? I, I feel like travel has now gone in, maybe there's two, three different levels of it now. And some of it is not necessarily good for humanity. I mean, it's a strong mm -hmm. sort of, you know, raising my fist. If the camera was on, you'd see me going, mm -hmm. you travelers, <laughs> you know, tourism for countries, it's a good thing in terms of income, but it's also a bad thing environmentally, depending on how you do it. For for the individual, it should be a learning experience, but you can also learn nothing. I'm very mm -hmm. divided on, on travel these days. I'm yeah. Yeah, well, 
I mean, you've talked about this in another podcast that I listened to oh, wow. about the difference between tourism and traveling. Huh. Um, Maybe I'm really so, stuck on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell me. No, I think I might be stuck on this issue if you tell me you've heard me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but it's a very interesting thing. And I don't have, like you, I don't have the arrogance to say I'm the better uh, <laughs> tourist or I'm the better traveler at all. Yeah. Because I'm part of the problem, you know. <laughs> right. um, it's 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 a yeah it's it's a very interesting topic to to think about, and we need to think about it. Like travel more sustainably, uh, make sure that the money goes to the right hands, mm. uh, like fair trade travel. Um, mm -hmm. uh, try to keep down our our footprints. Um, and then a motorcycle is not the best way and flying <laughs> to a country is not the best way. But, you know, there's so many aspects of it that yeah. f uh, for me, I, I consider myself as a traveler and not as a tourist, right. but that seems like, uh, yeah, saying again, <laughs> I feel better. And I don't, I struggle with this. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the reasons also why I, want to still travel but bring something uh, um, in return do something in return uh -huh. like collect these uh, stories yeah yeah um, go and meet people in totally untouristy places like in villages or in in a town that nobody would ever go to right. um, and work with a translator with an interpreter for instance it changed it changed so much this last time in iran because i was working twice with the uh, i mean working just traveling along with uh, with someone who could uh, translate yeah and it it just opens up a whole new chapter you know you just all of a sudden you're not restricted to people with a certain level of education or with contact with foreigners you know yeah, yeah. so and I think that's one of the reasons why I want to. I want to do something in return. I, that's that's probably the core of it because yeah. I feel if I'm just traveling and enjoying the mountains in in whatever, like in Bhutan or or wherever. Uh, okay, that's fine. Then I'm there for like a, a week or two weeks, and I enjoy, and I come back. Yeah. And I talk about it to friends and I show pictures or I post them on Instagram, you know. Yeah. And to me, it's like a very hollow, a very superficial experience then. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and I and I think about that and I and I hear very clearly what you're saying by what you do, because if I look through your photos of your journey, this is a very different thing than someone who goes, takes pictures of a interesting looking person who maybe is yeah sure riding a motorcycle or or no no you you are not just taking a photo you're telling a story of a person you're giving context you're giving them a voice i mean uh yeah. one of your the first photos i saw of yours was the um the stunt driver from iran uh, noura mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and and i noticed she has an instagram well guess who follows her instagram now you know i do because now mm -hmm. i want to know more about this person and i'm excited that her life is 
um, is going like, you know, trials and tribulations, successes, failures. I, I, I'm glad mm-hmm. she's out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And now you, you know, you brought that person uh, in a way mm-hmm. uh, who wanted to mm-hmm. be brought apparently because they, they have an Instagram account and exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. 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 This, this is nothing, this is nothing uh, illegal, nothing political. I mean, it's just like, this is a woman out in the world and she's, she's having an Instagram, like yeah. probably, Almost every single story I made in Iran, all these people have Instagrams. Yeah. So uh, they're they're out in the open. Yes. And they're moving boundaries. I mean, every single woman in that project, uh, the eight stories that I made, they're blazing trails. They're pioneers in one way or another. Yeah. And and this was now Iran, but I'm going soon to the UK hmm. uh, for six weeks. And I'm. I had a lot of trouble finding the same level of trailblazers, but I did find them. Okay. And um, <laughs> India is next on the list. Yeah. Uh, Japan is for next spring. Wow. And then Bangladesh now come came to the fore because of this talk yeah. for yeah. sure. I mean, I've been in Bangladesh, but I want to go again. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be working. On this project, on Move She Does, for I think the next four or five years for sure, if not six. (laughs) That's a wonderful thing. LazardNarcitizenReporter.org. You're listening to CitizenReporter.org. How can people who are listening, who are uh, in many ways inspired and interested, how can they best uh, uh, support you uh, and support the project? Mm, the, I mean, I'm always looking for inspiring stories. Yeah. And I, because I'm a motorbiker, I have trouble getting outside of my motorcycle world. You know, <laughs> like all the links I have. I mean, I can I can fill free books with inspiring motorbiker, uh, motorbiking women, scooters, uh, motorbikes, whatever. Yeah. I'm not into sports. So sports, I try to keep it out okay. because it's less of a necessity than, and it's opening a totally different box of Pandora. Mm-hmm. And military is out as well, yeah. except for in one case, okay. and that's Second World War. Wow. But all the rest, I don't do tanks or or sure. uh, what is it? Police um, officer, these, uh, yeah. jet fly, jet jet planes Fighter or pilot. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm looking for, actually, it's a, like I said, move she does is a storytelling project about mm-hmm. pioneering women, girls, and groups blazing trails with vehicles with their yeah. vehicles. Yeah, and it can be. Almost anything. Like in India, I found in Hyderabad, I found a company that is support that's making electric tuk-tuks now. Yeah. Yeah. 
and they're uh, supporting a project that is called Moving Women. And one particular group they are reaching out to are the hijras, the transgenders, the traditional transgenders of India. And now a bunch of transgenders are learning how to ride these electric tuk-tuks and making money in a very different way than what they usually do, being Uh sex workers in Uh general. Yeah very often. Mm-hmm. So now they're uh, making their way and w- and earning a living in this way, which I find super interesting. Yeah. Um, so anything goes. I mean, it could be bicycles, um, it yeah. could be skateboards, skateboards and surfboards are yeah. in there as well as the community thing, not the sports side of things. No, right. But very often they reach communities which would normally stay out of uh, view or yeah yeah, one project that came came to the fore like 10 years ago even already was skatistan in afghanistan Uh Have, have you ever heard of that i have not and i've been to afghanistan twice and i did not know about skatistan i don't think well okay yeah hell so yeah, Skadistan, and this is a very interesting story as well, just to give you a little bit of the Please. the type of stories that I'm looking at or searching. I'm on a permanent search, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So anyone who's listening and that's like, whoa, I have this wonderful aunt yeah. and she's been riding this incredible truck decorated <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Pakistan and she's the only one in Pakistan. Please reach out, you know. Please. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um, Afghanistan had uh, 10 years ago, 10, 11, there was a, a, a skateboarder who was there for some type of NGO, NGO project. And he brought a skateboard and started skating in the streets of Kabul. And all of a sudden he became like uh, attracting, like a magnet, all these street kids. Yeah. And he saw, uh, he started teaching these kids. Of course, he had only one board and he got more boards. And in no time, this became his project and it grew like a mushroom. Mm -hmm. So what he did was setting up like a skate park and then a school connected to that. Mm -hmm. And then he got the kids of the street. I mean, I'm just probably like ruining the, the basics you can find it online but right. and then it's got to be better but this is my how i perceived it so um they started the school they in, engaged uh, afghan teachers and basically these kids would skate a couple of times a week and for the rest go to school and uh for many of these kids it was the first time they saw a school from the inside mm-hmm. And the skateboard was like the facilitator, like the like the like the the cherry on the pie, you know. Yeah. And they specifically um, aimed at girls to get more girls into uh, education. And this was Kabul. Yeah. In a couple of years, I think five six years. Of course, they grew and they were funded by an enormous amount of people. People loved this project. Mm-hmm. And uh, they started a second school, I think, in Herat mm-hmm. and a third school in Bamiyan. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it worked like mad. It was growing. They were building new ramps, new uh, skateboard balls and uh, new halls, new schools. Yeah. They also copied the project to Cambodia to townships in South Africa, 
I believe in Jordan and one more country that that escapes my mind. Hmm. And of course, I don't need to make it uh, clear in August last year, the whole thing had to shut down. And even worse, they had to find ways for all their staff to escape from the country, Mm -hmm. which they did. They managed. And guess what? Hmm. What? Three of the Skatistan girls' teachers fled to Belgium. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yep. So I'm meeting, I met uh, one girl um, a month ago. I made her portraits. I still have to do her interview. I'm meeting another girl in 10 days' time. And the third girl lives in Antwerp. These two live in Brussels. A third girl lives in Antwerp. And I'm going to do her interview as well. Because uh, the first one, um, Mubaraka, um, was actually the first founder of the school in Bamiyan. Yeah. She was a teacher, but she was also a programmer and made, cleared the ground for the new school in Bamiyan. And she was also a photographer. She was like the, the, the permanent photographer of the website in Afghanistan. And there were no credits of her nowhere. There was, there was just like her pictures. And now I know that it's hers. These are her pictures. So it's it's just amazing that I wanted to go to Skadisan. I never could because it was Afghanistan and never never safe for, for a foreign visitor in, mm-hmm. in many ways, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, now Skadisan came to me. And of yeah. course, it's very sad for her. Yeah. But at least I can spread also her story. And hers is an incredible story. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, I've seen the two photos of her that you you shared with me, and even mm-hmm. her just her her face it it tells quite a story. I mean, the you have one where she's, I think, very she's smiling, and it's it's an incredible smile. It it, mm-hmm. it says a lot anyway to me. And then you have another where she's more uh, pensive and and mm-hmm. staring off, and and there you also see the the sort of other side of all this in a way. Right, but, right, um, because it's a very tough story as well, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially now. Yeah. And she's separated from her family and, and her family is safe as well, but in a totally different country. And it's mm. it's really tough. She's 25 and she's here by herself, you know? Yeah. And uh, she's okay. and But I cannot begin to imagine how it must be to all of a sudden be projected in a totally different culture, yeah. you know, and just try to, yeah, to move on with things and she does she does hmm. Hmm. Yeah. she set up she recently set up a photography project in an asylum center oh wow okay yeah so she's not sitting still no no i think sometimes uh for some people in this world there's a personality type that uh, no matter what you you yeah like you said she's still <laughs> she continues um, she's incredible, really. She's 25, and to me, she's like a, a massive inspiration. Yeah. I mean, I look at, I'm, I'm talking to her, and my jaw drops all the time. You know, every single phase that she's tell, talking about, like she was, she was telling me to, that she was going to Bamiyan yeah. as a girl, uh, as a young woman. I think she was 22, 21, 22, and she had to face the local people before even setting up the school. She had to enter a room with something like. 30 men yeah. or, or something, 30, 40 men. 
staring at her and she had to convince them to th these were responsibles of the city mm -hmm. and she had to convince them uh, of the advantages of setting up Eskadistan in Bamiyan. Yeah. And she, she uh, confessed to me, she said, you know, I was on the verge of starting to cry when mm -hmm. I entered that room. Mm -hmm. And then she said, I knew I couldn't. And she just sort of found the strength and the power. And she said, I went in that room and I just talked <laughs> and I convinced them all. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing. I mean, you're on the verge of like crying, facing something that a young woman facing 30, 40 yeah. uh, traditional men trying to convince them to build this school and finding the, the power to do that is just like, yeah. I, I, I can just see the, the thing happening. And when I met her, I was just like all ears when mm -hmm. she was telling this. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wonderful examples. I mean, you've, you've, you've met some fantastic people and, and it's uh, also wonderful that you can keep in touch. I mean, that's also the, I think the difference between let's say travel and tourism or, or however we want to phrase it, that you, the people you meet, the photos you take, they, mm -hmm. they live on and the individuals matter to you. They, they're they not, yeah. they're not something you put in a frame and hang on your wall and say, I was there once. Uh, no, no, not uh, at all. No, no. I want to, I want to spread this, these stories. I, it will be a book in, in five, six years. I have yeah. the editors. Yeah. Uh, it will be a website at some point or another. Yeah. Uh, and I certainly aim to go talk in schools anywhere. Yes. And talk in schools together with local women. Yeah. Because actually, I'm not so important in this story. Mm -hmm. I'm like the facilitator. Right. And I just want to clear the floor. And in, in many cases, they do by themselves. They don't need me, you know. No. <laughs> I mean, so many places. Like moving women. I mean, they're going to schools. They're already yeah. doing this. Like, yeah. like Sakia Haq, you know. Yeah. She's going to schools all yeah. the time. Yes, they yes. don't need us, you know. No. So sometimes I feel like mm, maybe I should just Get walk away and let yeah. them let them do. It. I mean, they could they're perfectly capable of doing this. Yeah. They don't need our help. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like I can be the the facilitator. I can yeah. be like uh, they will. It's sad, but like in uh, I was talking in the school in the Bengali region in northeast India. In can't remember the town, but it was in northeast. Mm. And I was invited to speak in a school and still I had the impression, yeah, but I'm talking to kids who, about my journeys, yeah. these kids, these 100 boys and girls will never, ever in their life be able to do what I'm doing. Okay. They oh. don't have the passport and they don't have the money yeah. and they will never have it, probably, maybe one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what am I doing here? Just making their heads crazy with some romantic unattainable journey it's crazy it's not right you know so what i did i just came back from from bangladesh at that time so i told them a little bit about my journey i told them why i was there and what i had seen in their own region and what what i liked and what i liked so much about their country mm -hmm. and their culture 
And then I introduced to them uh, some stories of women that I had met on scooters in, in Bangladesh, in Dhaka. Yeah. And I felt that that was much more appropriate because then I could show pictures and show them these women, they're Bengali just as you are, and they have tried, they have struggled, they have faced adversary, they've been stoned even in the streets, they've been pushed over on their scooters, and yet they persisted and they got together and they made a motorcycle club. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And I think that was much more valuable, I think, mm-hmm. and much more reachable because it's something that they these kids can relate to, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that definitely. And I and I think your presence has something for sure in, in, in the sense of just reminding us maybe on a simple level that we are we can connect we can we are all human even though it might seem like you know your clothes or your the way you look might be different but like it's i don't know i think there's a reminder there about our shared humanity uh which is a mm. good starting point but then like you say indeed like examples that are either from a community or or even more within reach uh, I think that's also, I see the value for sure. Mm, mm. Yeah. 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 So I want to spread these stories. I mean, they're I so uh, inspiring to, and maybe one story might not inspire you uh, as, as, a, as a young girl and then another story. That's why I want more young girls in it as well. I have now a 12-year-old surfer yes. in the southeast of Iran. I, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And she's the only one in the region and she's super strong and, and yeah, she's incredible, <clears throat> but I need more girls. Definitely. Yeah. I, and I, I know they are there. And, and the funny thing is, so that she's from the region of Baluchistan, I believe. Right. Yes. And, and yes. the interesting is for me, like Baluch, Baluchistan is, is famous for this sort of violence, struggle, uh, lawlessness, all negatives. All negatives is what I've always heard, never having gone or studied, uh, never having gone to the region. Um, and then you you see the images, you read the story, you see the, the, and, and surfing, but there it is. You know, it's it's real. It's someone who's doing this and is inspiring. And it, it, it sheds light on, you know, what else is possible uh, in a place, and it's not just I don't know what I've heard or what I've read in the media. Absolutely, and this is so much so true for Iran, for instance. It's one of these countries that has faced every time I tell someone who who has who doesn't doesn't who, who doesn't know me, uh, I tell them, yeah, I've been there, or I've I've been, and when I utter the word Iran, it's like people's ears are like, what? You know, there's like this massive prejudice. And then inside Iran, even if I say I'm going to Baluchistan, mm-hmm. it's the same. People are, oh, yeah. oh, are you sure? I mean, yeah. it's dangerous. I mean, it's a violent region, like you say. Yeah. And um, I was accompanied by uh, a young man, who's a very dear friend now, yeah. um, who has lived in Chabahar for four years. And so we went together. And it was the most hospitable region and hospitable people. They were so warm and so, so outgoing and so interesting. I've been in, in a super, super fancy uh, restaurant on top of a hotel somewhere. I couldn't count the expensive cars that came straight from Dubai, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's very 
interesting region because you see what I expected was indeed a very poor and very traditional region. And okay, I've just spent like three days there and I cannot judge. But I had a little bit of an insider's look because I was traveling with Mohammed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was so different from what I expected. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if, if you're doubting on something... I, I I think you should go and just yeah. try to find out by yourself and try to find out what is your truth and how is your experience and just not let prejudice mm-hmm. cloud. I mean, it's always clouding. I mean, it, sure, it but try to get does beyond. for me as well. Yeah. But yeah, try to seek be below the surface and try to reach out to normal people like i said i said 97 98 of the people are good people and they want the same like you and me they want a roof they want some food they want some health of course health care yes and some money to be and and freedom they want to have a freedom of speech a freedom to move this is also something and that's basically it you know they want to be happy just like you and me it, it it eventually gets very simple in the end. Yeah. Mm. It's it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, and and the beauty of podcasting, of course, is that we can go as long as we want. But sure, uh, but you uh, have to cut. You you have to cut in this. Sure, you know? or just you know, uh, I think that these stories are so wonderful that I'm mm. I'm really pleased that we could. Let, let's say this is a start. This is our first conversation. I, I very much would like to speak to you again and and talk about more adventures and more ideas. Uh, so uh, this is a wonderful start. I'm so thankful that you you were open to uh, being on the program, and I'm going to enjoy uh, publishing this and sharing it. And and by all means, count me in when you think about all the things you want to do with Move She Does. I realize who I am uh, and and all that, but uh, if there's a role for me to play, I will play it. You call on me. Wow, Mark. <laughs> that's amazing that's thank you so much i'm so honored to be on your podcast even and to yeah to have met you i mean this is like amazing we should meet for in real life we're not we'll get there. 300 we're 300 <laughs> kilometers apart right yeah it should we be should i should come over and have coffee with you and yeah. your kid let's do it thank you so much and uh i'll i'll add all the relevant links including to your website uh move she yeah. does is the name of the campaign and it's really uh wonderful um and i can hear thank from you your so plans much that it's thank just you I'm, I'm very honored and i'm i'm not publishing uh all the stories as yet this is yeah. maybe important to say because i want to be a little bit careful and there's a little bit of uh, i have to protect some people yeah okay. um not that i'm doing anything illegal but yeah there's a side to it that i cannot really talk about okay um so but of course the english stories and the, the indian stories i mean they're gonna be more and the the story of uh, the afghan girls is gonna be uh, published sooner okay so i will i will uh, yeah. give some feed to uh to the website yeah and i'll make sure and and this is i think i like sharing this with the audience as well i definitely want to check with you uh before i when i publish this podcast whatever art i'm going to use whatever photographs i'm just going to check with you just to make sure we're respecting everybody the the right way and yeah perfect mark thank you so so much and thank you for your help and thank you listeners if you want to reach out reach out via mark or straight away via my website and i'd 
I'd love to find more uh, trailblazing girls and, and women, for sure. Thank you for listening to citizenreporter.org. To hear more, find your favorite. No, wait, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> this is like Marilyn Monroe. In <laughs>